Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So we're taking a tour through the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, which is actually a letter, the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul to his best buddy. Paul writes this letter from a prison cell in Rome in 67 AD, and he writes it to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor in Ephesus, and we notice over the last little section of this letter, Paul's been talking a lot about Jesus. He's been talking a lot about grace. He's been talking a lot about the gospel. And he continues that theme as we jump into 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this, Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. In other words, Timothy, make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. That God loved the world so much that he sent his son. That Jesus stepped into human his- history on a rescue mission. He came, he died, he rose again because of his love for us. And because of that, we receive forgiveness of sins. The power to change from the inside out and the promise of eternity. Timothy, you make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing. Now last week we talked about the difference between saving grace and empowering grace. And that's so important, right? Saving grace is a free gift, and yet God calls us to a powerful life. We need to lean in to empowering grace. How do we do that? We do that by keeping the main thing the main thing. Like maybe you're new or newish at Southside Church, and you've thought to yourself a couple times, it seems to me, and I could be crazy, but it seems to me that they talk a lot about Jesus at Southside Church. And I'll tell you why you think that. You think that because we talk a lot about Jesus at Southside Church. See, we're just doing what Paul said. We're going to keep reminding each other of the main thing. Keep reminding each other of the main thing. And that's really important because of, and you're probably thinking the same thing I am right now, right? The second law of thermodynamics. I know, we are both thinking the same thing. It's called entropy. And what it says is this, that nature does not move towards order, but towards disorder. I can prove it to you. For many of you, if you're sitting on the risers right now, you are sitting on proof. Underneath those risers is storage. And what happens now at Southside Church is we have staff that goes through there a couple times a week just to make sure everything stays in order. When we first moved into this facility, we would go in and we would clean that storage up. We had volunteers come in and just make it spick and span. And then we wouldn't touch it for about a month. And you would go in there and it looked like somebody tossed a grenade in there. And the reason is, is entropy. Things happen. Right? Like somebody goes in there with the best of intentions and they say, I'm just going to leave this here for a second. Somebody else walks in and says, I just need to find one thing, and they go rifling through it, and next thing you know, entropy happens. The second law of thermodynamics happens, and we go from order to disorder. I guess the same thing would happen, right, if you left your kitchen for a month, where you didn't clean your kitchen, you didn't organize your kitchen for a month. It wouldn't look real good at the end. Entropy would happen. Well, the Apostle Paul calls the church the household or the house of God. And the same entropy that can happen underneath risers or in your kitchen can happen in the church if we don't make the main thing the main thing. We get off course. We get offline. We move away from order to disorder. So you can start out as a church and you lose your course somewhere along the line and next thing you know, you become an entertainment center or you become a social club or you become a social services agency. Let me say something. There's nothing wrong with entertainment centers. There's nothing wrong with social clubs and there's nothing wrong with social services agencies. The one thing they all have in common, however, is this. None of them are churches. So we make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. 
So when we say we love this city, we really do. But we always remember that the reason that we have the capacity, the inclination, the wherewithal, the willingness to love this city is because God loved us so much that he sent his son. And Jesus saved us. And when he did, he unlocked the capacity for us to love others well. And we talk about the fact that we are for this city, but it's important that we always remember that we're for this city because God was for us. God is for us. And we talk about the fact that we are a generous people. And you know what we are? I'm so proud to be a part of this group, but we always remember that we are generous people because we serve, we've been blessed by, we're following in the footsteps of a generous God. So we're not an entertainment center. I hope you have fun, but that's not the main thing. We're not a social club. I hope you find this to be a friendly church, but that's not the main thing. We're not a social services agency. Even though we give hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to help, to send tangible help to those in need, this is not a social services agency. We're a church. And we keep making the main thing, the main thing. We keep reminding each other about grace. We keep reminding each other about the gospel. We keep reminding each other about Jesus. Because when you don't, things can go off track in a hurry. Paul explains. He says this, Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. When you stop making the main thing the main thing, you know what's going to happen? Next thing you know, you're going to be quarreling. You're going to be arguing. You're going to be yelling. You're going to be shouting each other down. Now, I've talked about this verse a little bit over the last little while. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 15, verse 18. He said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And there are some people who attend church that say, well, that's the goal then. I need to be hated and I need to be persecuted. And of course, that's easy to do. I'm just going to be, I'm going to tick people off left, right, and center. I'm going to argue. I'm going to quarrel. I'm going to just be uh, judgmental and mean to people. And then at the end, I will say, look, it's just as Jesus said. I'm hated and persecuted. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Because we need to remember, what did Jesus say before he said, if the world hated, hates you, remember it hated me first. He said this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command, love each other. So what's the goal? Love, love. How do we love people? We love people by keeping the main thing the main thing. We preach the gospel. We demonstrate grace. We tell them about Jesus. How? In love. See, quarreling isn't about love. Quarreling is about pride. The problem with quarreling is it's just not effective. If the goal is to win people to grace, to demonstrate the gospel, to win people to Jesus, quarreling isn't effective. That's why you've never once heard somebody say this. Man, you know what? I was online the other day, and I saw this guy that goes to church. He claims to be a follower of Jesus, and he just had all these snarky posts. And I read them, and I fell to my knees right beside my computer chair, and I gave my life to Jesus. You've never heard of that. You know why? It's never happened. And you've never heard anybody say this. I was at a party, a big gathering, 
And this church person walked up to me and got in a big argument. And I got to be honest with you, they kicked my butt in that argument. They ended up being way smarter than me and they made me look stupid in front of everybody. And at the end of the argument, I said, you win and I lose, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. Why have you never heard that? Oh, because this never happened. See, quarreling isn't love, quarreling is pride. So, so, so if your goal is to get something off your chest and look smart, then you should quarrel. If your goal is to love, then you should teach. You should teach. Gently and kindly and patiently teach. Teach the world about grace. Teach the world about Jesus. Teach the world about the gospel. That's love. That's when you're making the main thing the main thing. Paul goes on, he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Do your best. If you're going to keep the main thing the main thing, you should do your best, you know? It's funny, people say you learn a lot more by teaching than you learn by being taught. I think that's true. Like I went to university for six years, I got my Bachelor of Secondary Education and my Bachelor's of History. And I graduated with distinction, which surprised everybody who knew me. But I really lit it up over those last three semesters. I bring that up because right after graduating from university, I became a teacher. And I remember preparing for that first week of classes. And one of the classes that I was preparing for was a social studies 11 class with 30 students in it. And I got to tell you, man, I did my best. I did my best. I worked at it. I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to really, really know my stuff because something innately told me this, that if you step in front of a classroom full of 16 and 17-year-olds and you haven't done your best, if you haven't prepared, if you haven't worked at it, if you don't know your stuff, oh, you're in for a world of hurt. I would go as far as to say this, that I worked harder on those lesson plans than I had ever worked on an assignment for university that I learned more from teaching those courses than I'd ever learned from being in courses in university. And you say, well, that's really neat, Mike. What does that have to do with me? Oh, a lot. You're a teacher. So the second that you decided to follow Jesus, the second that Jesus saved you, you became a teacher. Here's the thing. Your family is listening to what you say and they're watching what you do. You're a teacher. Your friends are listening to what you say and they're watching what you do. You are a teacher. And if you're going to be a teacher, I don't know, I think it would be a good idea to do your best. To do your best. To, to keep the main thing the main thing. Can I give you three simple suggestions on how you can keep the main thing the main thing in your life? Knowing that you are an example, that you are a teacher. Here's number one. Come to church with an attitude of expectation. Whether you're online or in person. Come to church with an attitude of expectation. And I'm so glad you're here. You know, Over the last month, couple months, I've had tons of people come up to me and say, Mike, i got to tell you something. That sermon, unbelievable. Like, so, so good. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad you got something out of it. Can you tell me your favorite parts? Like, what's the parts that really spoke to you? And it's so funny because they'll often look at me and go, uh, uh, something about Red Deer and Grand King. And it's like, no, no, I get it. I get it. Honestly, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not. Life is like full of distractions, isn't it? There's so much going on. We're thinking about so many things. And you walk out of the sermon and it was awesome. And you take seven steps and you're like, 
wait a minute, <laughs> what just happened there? So can I make a suggestion? Can you step into church with an attitude of expectation? What I mean by that is say, God, would you just show me one thing today? Just show me one thing I can apply, one thing that would encourage me, one thing that I can make my next step. You probably notice at church there's people that take notes. That's a great idea if you're comfortable doing that, to just know that maybe later I'm not going to remember all of this, but I'm going to go over my notes and refresh myself. So number one, come to church with an attitude of expectation. Number two, consider being a part of a small group. I talked about this last week, how I really do my best. I do. The band does their best. Everybody that's a part of making the services happen, we really do our best. We work at it. And so we present to you a general truth, which I hope is so helpful. But you know what's amazing about small group? is in small group, general truth can become personal truth. You have a small group leader, and most of our small groups do a sermon-based study. So what happens is, in your small group, you dive in a little deeper to what we talked about on Sunday. And what I love about that is your small group leader knows, hey, we need to take it from a slightly different angle. That would be better. We need to go a little bit deeper in this area. And I love that so much. So I would ask you to consider being a part of a small group. And number three, have daily spiritual disciplines. Yes, I used that word disciplines intentionally. Remember last week we said you have to be disciplined like an athlete, right? Disciplines. It's not always easy to do. We don't always feel like doing it. Sometimes we'd rather check social media, but to have a daily time of prayer, a daily time of Bible reading is so important if you want to not only experience God's saving grace, but his empowering grace too. If you want a resource that would help you with your daily prayer time, you can go back in January, when we launched this new year of 2022, we did a series at Southside, a six-week series called Five. We talked about five repeatable steps that you can take every day to live a life of prayer. You're a teacher. So you know what? Do your best. Work at it. It's awesome. And Paul also says to Timothy, don't be ashamed. I think that's kind of funny. Don't be ashamed. Because sometimes we look at people in the world, people who claim to represent Jesus, people who go to church, and we sort of wish that they were a little bit more ashamed. These are the people that are really quarrelsome, that they're really argumentative, that they're always shouting, they're always condemning, they're always judging, and we kind of look at them and go, man, I, I wish you would just be a little quiet. That's not Timothy's problem. But Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, uh, you don't need to be ashamed. In fact, Timothy, you don't need to shut up. You do need to speak up, though. And I have a sneaking suspicion about you I think you're a lot like Timothy. I don't think you need to shut up. I think you need to speak up. It's hard though, right? Well, Paul says it. We can be ashamed of the gospel. We can be ashamed of grace. We can be ashamed of Jesus. Not because we're actually ashamed, but because there's a spiritual battle going on and it feels difficult. So I want to remind you of something. Around you every day, there's all kinds of people who look at this life and they look at this world and they say, there's got to be more. And they might never say it out loud, but there's something inside of them that longs for a hope and a joy and a vision that goes beyond this life and beyond this world. And you found that hope and you found that vision and you found it in Jesus. So don't argue and don't quarrel and don't shout, but patiently and gently listen and then invite them. Invite them to hear your story. Invite them to learn about grace. Invite them to church. When we know that the main thing is the main thing, there is nothing more important than that. Paul continues, he says this, Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's gross. 
Have you ever noticed you can be hanging around with a group of friends and you say something like this, man, I really want to buy a new watch, right? And the next time you go onto your computer or you go on your phone, you see all kinds of advertisements for what? For watches. And you're like, well, that's weird. Or you go and you do a Google search for sunny beach vacations. And the next time you go on social media, all the paid ads are for what? For sunny beach vacations. And you're like, whoa, that is like weird. It's not really weird. It's really simple. Like web designers and app developers sell your attention to advertisers. Web designers and app developers sell your attention to advertisers. So there are people who will pay for the right to put their watch or their beach vacation into your view, hoping that you might buy it. For many of you, you knew this already. So attention is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Your attention, our attention in our culture is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And web designers and app developers have come up with a theory. They figured it out. So the same way that they know uh, that you want to watch, the same way that they know that you want to go on a beach vacation, they get to know you. And they figure out when they really get to know you, there are two things that will hold your attention. Did I tell you? Attention is a multi-trillion dollar industry. They know that there are two things that will hold your attention. Anger and fear. Anger and fear. So what they do is they start to figure out who you are, and they feed you things. They, they put you in what's called an echo chamber. They feed stuff to you from your perspective that will make you angry and will make you afraid, and that will hold your attention. They make you angry, and they make you afraid, and that's a multi-trillion dollar industry. So they figure out very quickly, who are you? Well, you like watches and beach vacations. Politically, you're left-wing, so they're going to send you stuff that makes you angry or afraid. Politically, you're right-wing, and they're going to send you things that make you angry or afraid. So you start to live in an echo chamber. Here's why that matters. There's nothing wrong with watches, right? There's nothing wrong with watches. But what if you became like all about watches? Like it's all you cared about, that, that watches became your main thing. Paul says, if that's all you ever think about or all you ever talk about, that's weird. And that's godless chatter. And there's nothing wrong with beach vacations, right? Like, but, but what if you became like so obsessed with beach vacations that it was like your main thing? Like it's all that you thought about and it's all that you talked about. Paul said, well, that'd be weird. That would be actually godless chatter. Now, there's nothing wrong with politics, by the way. But what if politics became your main thing? What if it was all that you were about? And it's all you thought about and all you talked about, Paul said, well, that'd be weird. That would be like godless chatter. It's pretty damaging, you know? Like we look back at some kind of sad, a little bit funny stories about how Christians have divided over the years. So way back in the day, did you know that there was hundreds and hundreds of churches that divided, that split over the pipe organ? That there was huge fights in hundreds and hundreds of churches because there was a group that said, the pipe organ is the only instrument that you should ever play in church. And there was others who said, we want to go with the ukulele instead, or whatever it was, right? Well, these churches split over that. There was actually a church on Vancouver Island that split over purple carpet. So the purple carpet people, say that three times right now, go. Purple carpet people. Okay, so the purple carpet people they said, we're putting new carpet into the sanctuary and it's got to be purple because purple is a 
is the color of royalty, and God is the king of kings. So the carpet must be purple. And they got voted down. They put brown carpet in the sanctuary instead of purple carpet. And you know what the purple carpet people did? The purple carpet people, I could just say that all day. The purple carpet people, they left. They started their own church, and they got their own sanctuary, and they put purple carpet in their new sanctuary. And you go, oh, that's pretty weird and pretty sad. Well, in our culture in 2022, we don't split over pipe organs or purple carpet. We split over politics. Christians divide over politics. My, your opinion on this and your opinion on that. What do you think about this and what do you think about that? And all of a sudden, Paul says, no, 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 no. I don't care if it's pipe organs. I don't care if it's purple carpet. I don't care if it's politics. Don't let that be your main thing. Paul says, hey, hey, can we reel this back in? Let's reel it back in. Let's reel it back in. What's the main thing? Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. That Jesus stepped into human history. He lived, he died, he rose again for you so that you could be forgiven. Power to change from the inside out. The promise of eternity, Paul says, can we get back to that? Because when we do, when we do, we'll come together. One last section. Among the, among the purple carpet people, among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Hymenius, he's at it again. We saw Hymenius last in 1 Timothy. They kicked him out of the church because he was gossiping and slandering and causing division so much. So now he's not even in that church in Ephesus, but he's got some buddies in the church, and he's got a new thing. He's got a new thing to cause division. Here's the new thing. It's not purple carpet. Okay, what it actually is is this. Hymenius is saying, hey, Jesus already came back. The resurrection already happened, you dum-dums. There's already a new heaven and a new earth, and we already have new bodies. And of course, that's, well, it's ridiculous. Like, if this is my new body, like, who do I talk to to complain, right? If this is the new earth, really? Like, there's still pollution, and there's still war, and there's still anxiety. It doesn't make any sense, but that's Paul's point. Man, if we stop making the main thing the main thing, it's always going to be something. And sometimes it's going to be something that we think is stupid, like purple carpet. And other times it's going to be something that maybe we don't think is stupid, like politics. But it's always going to be something. So we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And in the spirit of what Paul asked us and reminded us to do, I want to end with a story about Jesus. He's the main thing. His grace. His mercy. His gospel. So I want to tell you a story about Jesus. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. See, Jesus goes to this town called Capernaum, right on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's hanging out there. One of his disciples' names is Peter. And so Peter has a house in Capernaum, and that's where Jesus is. And everybody starts to hear that Jesus is hanging around at Peter's house. So they all start to gather. They all start to gather. Some of them come because they want to be healed. Some of them come because they just want to hear Jesus preach. There's a group of religious, self-righteous Jews that get there like, first thing in the morning, and they get front row seats, and they don't want to hear Jesus preach, and they don't want to be healed. They just want to critique him. There's always, there's always something, and there's always someone, even for Jesus. But here's the point. The people are gathering, and Peter's house is stacked full. There's people gathered outside, and meanwhile, there's these five guys, and they're walking to Peter's house in Capernaum. One of them is paralyzed, so 
four of them are carrying this stretcher with the paralyzed guy on the stretcher. And this was before the days of transit. This was before the days of HOV lanes. So it can be surmised that they walk not just for hours, but for days to get there. And so they arrive, and they see that Peter's house is stacked full. You can't even get in, and there's people on the outside. And so these guys, you know what they decided to do? They, they climbed up on top of Peter's house, and they dug a hole in the roof. And I love these guys so much. I love them so much because they remind me of some of the guys I grew up with in Red Deer. You know, I just imagine them with like baseball caps that say, get her done, probably turned backwards on their head, but they're going to get her done. They're the get her done guys. And so they dig a hole in the roof and they lower their buddy through. And listen to this. Luke chapter five says, when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, now the get her done guys on the roof are disappointed. The peanut gallery of religious self-righteous Jews in the front row, well, they're enraged. The guys on the roof are disappointed because, well, they brought their friend there to be healed, not to be forgiven. And the guys in the front row are enraged because they're looking, who does Jesus think he is? Does he think he's the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world, or what? And Jesus knows what the peanut gallery is thinking. So he says, what's easier? to say, my son, your sins are forgiven? Or hey, kiddo. Why don't you get up, grab your stretcher and get out of here. Jesus says, but I'll tell you what, so that you'll know that I am the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. Hey, kiddo, why don't you get up? Grab your stretcher and get out of here. <clears throat> and he does. And he does. The Bible says that everybody rubbed their eyes with astonishment. They all went away praising God, saying, We've never seen anything like that. So I just want to end with maybe three quick thoughts on how you and I can keep the main thing the main thing. So, number one, can we remember that the greatest need our world has is a spiritual need? The greatest need that our world has is a spiritual need. So Jesus looks at this man, this paralyzed man, and what's the first thing he says? Your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins. The power to change from the inside out, the promise of eternity, grace. The gospel, the message of Jesus is the most important message that we could ever represent. It's the greatest need that the world has. It's the greatest hunger that the world has. The greatest thirst that our world has is a spiritual thirst. We need to remember that. Secondly, even though the greatest need is a spiritual need, we live in a physical world. So Jesus says, I'm going to show you a tangible demonstration of my love. Hey, kid, can you, can you imagine that scene? You got the get, get her done guys on the roof and they're just like, they're leaning over, almost falling into the hole and, and Jesus says, get up and walk. A tangible, a tangible expression in a physical world of God's spiritual love. It's absolutely unbelievable. So can we not only remember that the greatest need in our world today is a spiritual need, but that we live in a physical world and we need to express Jesus' love in a tangible way. So not only do we preach the gospel, but we express Jesus' love in a tangible way. 
You know, we talk about it a lot, but that's why we bring help to our city and to our world. That's why we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to team up with groups like Pearl to rescue women out of the sex trade. That's why we work with the Pregnancy Care Center to help young women going through crisis pregnancy situations. That's why we started the Sunshine Fund to come alongside families dealing with critical illness and on and on and on and on and on. Why? Because we want to bring tangible expression to the love of Jesus just like he did in this incredible story. You know, a few weeks ago, we had the two big secondary schools in our city, G.W. Graham and Sardis Secondary. They came by and they did a tour because they're going to use our facility to do their awards ceremony. One of the teachers from Sardis Secondary walked up to Dave Poole, our expansion pastor, and he said, this is a breathtaking facility. You must have some very large benefactors. And I just love what Dave said. Dave said, we have people in our church with all different capacity, with all different levels of resources. But the reason why we were able to build this building is because hundreds of families just did what they could do. I think that's so amazing. Why do we build buildings? Why why do we help Pearl? Why do we come alongside of families dealing with critical illness? Somebody asked the other day, does the government give you money? No, 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 no. The government does not give us money. Where did this building come from? Where does all this tangible help come from? Oh, it comes from the person behind you. It comes from the person beside you. It comes from ordinary people who just somewhere along the line came to this conclusion. Hey, hey, if I do what I can do, I think God's going to show up and do what only he can do. Like, have you thought about that story before? That, that's Peter's house, right? There's, there's, there's no mention in that story about Peter blowing his top, getting all angry because how dare you dig a hole in my roof? Why? He gets it. There's people being saved here. There's people being healed here. That's the main thing, right? So I would say this to you. We've been coming to Southside for a while, for any length of time, actually. Why don't you give? <laughs> Why don't you be generous? Oh, we're doing fine for money. I'm talking for your sake. See, there's something crazy in the Bible. The Bible says this, that when you are a blessing to others, like when you give to Southside Church, honestly, you'll, you'll be blessed. So number one, the greatest need in our world today is a spiritual need. Number two, but we live in a physical world and we need to show a tangible expression of God's love in this physical world. And number three, and finally, I don't have a title I just love the get her done, guys. I was just thinking this morning, what do you think the walk home was like? On the way there, there was four of them carrying one, now there's five walking. What do you think that would have been like? I wonder if they carried the the stretcher, you know, took turns, or whether they sold it or just dropped it. Not going to need that anymore. I wonder what the walk home was like. See, I think about that a lot because I think the walk home wouldn't have been possible if they wouldn't have walked there. Do you know what I mean? Like those four guys that carried that stretcher, I don't know what their political views were. I don't know what the cultural background was. I don't, know, I don't know if they saw everything eye to eye. I just know this. They knew where they were going. They needed to get this guy to Jesus and they were going to do it. 
And so the walk home must have been incredible. Like the, the talks that they had, the celebrations. And they came there thinking, listen, they came there thinking, we need to get our friend healed. And they walked away. And who was healed? Well, yeah, the friend was. But you remember how the story ends? Everyone rubbed their eyes in astonishment. They said, we've never seen anything like this before. And they walked away praising God. They met Jesus that day. No, look, I mean, they really met him. So five guys were healed that day. And it just reminds me of us, you know? We have all different political beliefs, all different cultural backgrounds, but somewhere along the line, we figured it out. What are we doing here? We're bringing people to Jesus. That's the main thing. Because when Jesus shows up, We rub our eyes in astonishment. <clears throat> and we say again and again and again, man, I've never seen anything like that before. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads just as we take a moment of reflection. So what's God speaking to you today? Can I keep it really, really simple? Have you, have you been keeping the main thing the main thing? We live in a, we live in a distracted world. We live in a fearful world. We live in an angry world. But my hope and my prayer for you today would be that God would be calling you back to remember, to always remember, to keep the main thing the main thing. So in light of that, let me ask you this. If you're maybe somebody who's never met Jesus, and you were invited here today, or you've been coming here for a while, but, but today was the day that you realized that salvation is a free gift, that Jesus died for you and he rose again for you, and you want to respond to that. You want to accept his free gift. Man, I want to give you the chance to do that. It's free. It's grace. It's free. The gospel says this. God loves you so much that he sent his son. Would you respond today to that? Because when you do, there's forgiveness of sins. He'll give you the power to change from the inside out and the promise of eternal life. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, whether you're online or in person right now, could you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. If that's you, if today is the day you want to accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, could you just raise your hand? Okay, so if you just raised your hand online or in person, I'm going to pray out loud and I would just invite you to pray silently along with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Today I acknowledge my greatest need is a spiritual need. So I pray that you would be my savior. Just as you died on the cross, I remember that when you did that, it was so that I could hand you all my wrong and take all your right. I pray that you give me a fresh start and a clean slate right now. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. You rose again and you defeated death. So give me the power today to follow you one next step at a time. That I would live the life that you created me to live a life of power, a life of victory today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that, church? That's awesome. If you just prayed that prayer, number one, honestly, honestly, I'm so stoked. This is the main thing I'm here for. I'll tell you about grace and the gospel in Jesus. 
And we want to help you in any way that we can. We want to cheer you on. We want to teach you. We want to be taught by you. We want to get to know you better. So if you could just text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. I'd love that. Next week, I'll be here. You'll be here. We'll come with an attitude of expectation, making the main thing the main thing. And at the end, at the end, I got an idea. I got an idea. At the end, what if we go like this? He did it again. Jesus showed up. We've never seen anything like him before. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.